0: gonna to speak today. I'm just gonna pray in a minute and then we're gonna to turn to Psalm one hundred and thirty three. Let's let's pray. Father, just thank you today for your presence. We 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 revere you, we honour you, we realise that you're a holy God and before a holy God the only way that any of us can stand here in twenty seventeen on august the twentieth is through the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross at Calvary to purchase us and to pay the price for our sins. Sinful people saved by grace. And thank you, Jesus, for your sacrifice for us. Thank you, Father, for giving us your Son, because you so loved the world and loved us individually, that you gave the best thing that you had to save us. And thank you, Father, that you are ruling and reigning the creator of the heavens and the earth. And you have a ministry to do here today. And I just want to hand this over to you. Confessing our failings to you. Confessing our sins and our frailty before you. Claiming the blood of Jesus. Claiming the cross. The empty cross and the empty grave. For the victory here today. In Jesus name. And New Beginnings Fellowship. In the church Lord. We pray for your will to be done. Your kingdom to come. Your words to be heard. Your spirit to speak. Not man's voice. Your voice Lord. Thank you for every person that's here. Thank you for the fellowship that we have together. We are the body of Christ as we trust in him. I just pray, Father, that anything that's said here today would be pleasing in your sight, would be acceptable in your sight, and we honour you and we praise you for the building up of your kingdom and for the glory of your name, in Jesus' name. Amen. Psalm 133. A song of ascents of David not every psalm is attributed to David but this particular one is Uh, and for the second week in a row we're on a psalm of David Psalm 133, very short psalm but very deep and profound and we're just going to work our way through this and think about it today verse 1 how good and pleasant it is when brothers live together in unity it is like precious oil poured on the head running down on the beard Running down on Aaron's beard, down upon the collar of his robes, it is as if the Jew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion. For there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life evermore. Maybe we could just read that together. if you got a similar translation in front of you? If you do, just read it again with me. How good and pleasant it is when brothers live together in unity. It is like the precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down upon the collar of his robes. It is as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion. For there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. Amen. And Lord, we just pray that your word would, just in the fullness of the power of it, just speak to us today and lead what is said here today. For your glory we pray in Jesus' name. You know, you hear an awful lot of talk about unity in the world, but uh, there is no point in being united over something that is neither true nor meaningful. (laughs) That's just meaningless, isn't it? So we're going to think about unity today, but unity with a central focus and a central purpose, with a meaning. We hear about it in Psalm 133. Speaking a Psalm of David, speaking about the Lord's people and how they're to behave and how they're to they're, how they're to act towards each other. The preacher Carter Conlin from New York said this: "Unity is a choice, long before it is a feeling." you ever heard the, the song. This I didn't mean to say this, but it was a pop song. What a feeling, you know. And there's so many pop songs that are all about loose feelings and loose uh, love. Love is used as a throwaway term how we feel today, how we're attracted to someone. That's not what's been talked about here. There is something deeper and it's a choice to be made. David in verse 1 declares that it is both good and pleasant when brothers live together in unity. Good, why? Good because it's in it's accordance to God's will that he wants us to behave in such a way. And pleasant because an experience it is pleasant to be in this mode of unity instead of in a mode of division. There's an illustration used in verse 2 of the anointing of Aaron with oil and also the Jew of Mount Hermon. Aaron was the high priest there before the Lord's people of Israel and he had a very, very special role and a very a key role in coming into the Lord's presence in the tent of meeting and then in the tent of tabernacles he had Aaron and his sons ministering before the Lord on behalf of the people. You're all familiar with that, are you? At least in a little bit. Testing our Old Testament knowledge now. (laughs) So Aaron, high priestly work, representing the people of Israel under God's leadership. There was a central focus in the role that Aaron had. It wasn't just a purposeless unity. It wasn't just a disjointed uh, unity with a, a mission. Aaron had to go into the tabernacle, which was the most holy place, and he had to do this once a year. Uh, with the blood of a sacrifice to offer atonement, paying the price for the sins of the people. That's very profound, isn't it? It's awesome. Enter into the place where the Lord's presence is, bringing a sacrifice that's acceptable before the Lord so that the people can be made right with God. And if you read the Old Testament, it can be quite scary, some of the consequences of not preparing yourself for that. And one of the preparations was uh, to be anointed with oil And the Lord had commanded that this had been done with Aaron the priest, that there was oil poured over his head. It was a symbol of purification. It was a symbol of holiness. It was a symbol of blessing, of covering, all of these things. And that's what Psalm 133 is is also just reflecting on. It's like the precious oil poured on the head, poured down on his head, running down on his beard, and down upon the collar of his robes. It was poured really abundantly. And that's the way the Lord had asked for it to be done the oil would have likely been fragrant it says that it was precious oil and it would have been pleasing to those around about it it would have had a, an aroma a beautiful uh, sense to it and really I would suggest to you that this analogy of oil here is is really just saying how beautiful it is so as we read there Psalm 133 how good and how pleasant it is when brothers live together in unity it's like that oil poured on the head it's an anointing there's a blessing there There's a fragrance there that's attractive. There's also that image of the Jew of Hermon which was the tallest mountain in Syria and it was known for its moisture. Apparently for two thirds of the year it would be covered in snow and then that snow would dissipate and melt and turn into moisture and it would flow down and it would bring life to areas that would be largely barren and uh, bring life and obviously plantation and other other benefits and water. So this imagery here is that the blessing is coming down, just like if you think about the oil coming down, where did it come down from? Above, from the head down. <clears throat> and the dew flowing down from the tallest mountain. There's a sense of the Lord uh, bestowing blessing from above. Where does blessing come from? It comes from the Lord, it comes from above. And these are symbols, these are things to help us understand. It's the picture language of God's blessing. Unity is refreshing when it's done in the right way for the Lord, it brings life to people. It brings refreshing to those who take part in it. And it brings refreshing even to those who are not even part of it because they are blessed by it. That mountain was a blessing to everything around it, wasn't it? It's a blessing with the moisture, with life. Speaking about Psalm 133, the Bible commentator Warren Wearsby says this, you can manufacture uniformity by manipulating people and exerting pressure on them. But true unity can only come from God by His Spirit. And by this we're meaning true spiritual unity can only come from the one God. The one true living God. Unity, He also says, unity is good like the dew and produces fruitfulness. It is pleasant like the oil and produces a lovely fragrance. Whereas divisions amongst God's people produce the opposite results. What's the opposite results? Dead. (laughs) A killing of life. A destruction of life and no fruitfulness and instead of a lovely fragrance a smell a stench something which is not attractive when you're in it and it's not attractive when you observe it so how do we apply this type of thing today so as Christians we have a central reason for dwelling together in unity like the people of Israel in Old Testament times we've been called into a personal relationship with God and each other because of the sacrifice of our Lord Jesus Christ central focus through our individual faith in Jesus Christ who is our great high priest we are brought into a place of spiritual unity with all our brothers and sisters who have received the same salvation just to help us understand a little bit more about that if you want to turn to Hebrews 10 which is a great book, Hebrews, also for explaining a lot of what we see in the Old Testament and interpreting it in the light of Jesus Christ and the work that he's done for us. Hebrews 10, titled in My Bible is Christ's Sacrifice Once for All, verse 10, Hebrews 10, verse 10. The law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. For this reason, it can never by the same sacrifice, repeated endlessly year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. If it could, would they not have stopped being offered? So he's referring back there to the times of the the, the tent of meeting and the tabernacle with these repeated year after year sacrifices that never really finally dealt with sin and always had to be done again. For the worshippers would have been cleansed once for all and would no longer have felt guilty for their sins. But those sacrifices are an annual reminder of sins. Because it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. And just when we stop there, there's a limitation eh, to the sacrifice of those animals in the Old Testament. They were not a perfect sacrifice. They were not a lasting sacrifice. Verse 5. Therefore, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me. With burnt offerings and sin offerings, you were not pleased. Then I said, Here I am. It is written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will, O God. First he said, Sacrifices and offerings, burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not desire, nor were you pleased with them, although the law required them to be made. Then he said, Here I am. I have come to do your will. So he sets aside the first to establish the second. And by that will we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Whatever that is, verse 10. And by that we have been made holy through the sacrifice of what? The body of Jesus Christ once for all. Day after day. Every priest stands and performs his religious duties again and again. He offers the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But when this priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. Since that time he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool, because by one sacrifice he has been made perfect, has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. I'm reading a lot of scripture today quite deliberately. This is God's word. It's important we read it. And allow it to work on our hearts. You know, we have many different church backgrounds today in this room. If I was to put your hand up, who's from the Brethren? Who's from the Brethren? Who's from the Baptist? (laughs) Church, who's from Church of Scotland? Uh, Who's from independent churches? (laughs) Who's... (laughs) Pentecostal churches, if we label them that. There's lots, there's lots of Catholic church... Catholics. Catholic churches. <laughs> yeah. It's always the one sitting in the back you not The corner. Uh, but, you know, there are so many <coughs> different uh, churches today, aren't there? I mean, honestly, if you were to try and count the various different denominations, I think we'd need a long bit of paper. A couple of A4 sheets, if we're writing small on them. to Just to list the hundreds of different persuasions and denominations that are called the Church of Jesus Christ. There's nothing wrong with having different fellowships, and don't misunderstand me. There's nothing wrong with it. We all have our own distinctions. We all have our own understanding. But there's one God. One Lord of all. One Saviour. And there's one church, there's one body. So why is it then that in practice so many of us, it's great in New Beginnings that you know, we, we actually do have people from different countries, different backgrounds, different, quite, a, quite a mix of people from different churches here, but we dwell together in unity. Amen? We dwell together under the Saviour. But it's not always happening. It's not always being displayed amongst church groups. But well, when we trust in Jesus for our salvation, if anybody trusts in Jesus for their salvation, regardless of what their church is called or their background is, if they trust in Jesus, it says in John one two, yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of a natural descent nor of a human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. Amen. Now if we can meet a brother and sister to call them a brother and sister in Christ that's the criteria. That's the criteria. Not how many hundred doctrinal points you hold to or the different ordinances of the church or various other forms of worship or what we do or don't do. For those who received him, Christ who believed in his name he gave the right to become children of God. And you're my brother and my sister if that's you. And we have that unity or we should have that unity. Together, Jesus, as I mentioned earlier, was is our great high priest. He's the one who unifies everything. Just like that symbol uh, in Psalm 133 pointing to Aaron, representing the people and offering the sacrifice. Jesus paid the price for our sins on the cross at Calvary, once for all time. It was a final sacrifice for us all, available to us all. And Jesus' sacrifice is intended to bring us to complete unity both with God and with brothers and sisters in Christ. Jesus' sacrifice, I'll say it again, <laughs> Jesus' sacrifice is intended to bring us into complete unity with God and with each other. In Hebrews 10, just a wee bit later on, this is speaking to the, the church collective, and again it's saying in view of what the Lord has done in that unifying ministry, and that sacrifice. Hebrews 10 verse 19, Therefore, Brothers, since we have confidence. Notice the plural. Brothers, there's no lone ranger here. (laughs) Brothers, since we have confidence, we're coming in together. We have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus. Now there's a lovely transition between the Old Testament, which was a shadow of things to come. Amen? Where one man represented the people and could go in once a year. This is what we're seeing here, it's been opened up through Jesus, so that we even now are called priests, saints, and we're welcomed into the presence of the Holy God. That's whose presence we are in today, isn't it? And sometimes we don't realise that, I mentioned that earlier on, we need to really reverence the fact, whether individually worshipping or particularly collectively worshipping, we are here with a Holy God present the same holy God to whom all of these things had to be done just to stand in his presence once a year so while there's grace and there's freedom that we have and that's wonderful, let's remember as well how awesome God is how holy he is and that we should always be focusing on him in the right manner and preparing ourselves whenever we come to worship him so this is how we have to do it brother, since we have confidence to men- enter the most holy place, well, how do we do that? through the blood of Jesus which covers our sins and- by a new and living way opened up for us through the curtain, that is his body it's this tearing down of the temple system of the curtain that people couldn't enter, there's a tearing down of that, it's opened up through Christ and since we have a great priest over the house of God even the term house just has that feeling of family togetherness, doesn't it? we're in this as a group And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith. That's an interesting statement, isn't it? Like I was talking about earlier on, there is a sense of us needing to draw near often to the Lord. And in times like this on a Sunday, that's what we're trying to do. We're here to draw near. Collectively. To come before the Lord and worship Him. Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart An honest heart and full assurance of faith. It's great to have faith, isn't it? And to just know that it's only by grace that we stand. None of us here could ever stand and worship God or give thanks to him or stand up here and speak. If it wasn't for the grace God gave us what we don't deserve. We're sinners saved by his mercy and grace. But we've got to have a sincere heart. The Lord's looking at our heart. Not just our faith. Having our hearts, it says, sprinkled to cleanse us. So there's a sense of, as believers and Christians, we can still have that need of, we have that need of confession. That need of making sure that we're right with God. Having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. For he who promised is faithful and let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds I love that statement you know sometimes I hear people say and I'm not being critical, you know I'm not but how many times have you heard someone saying I went to this church, tried out this church and you know, music wasn't that great and uh, didn't really like the preacher and this, that and the next thing but why is it we go to church? do we go to church to be entertained by how good the worship team is? Or whether it's the songs we like to sing. You know, I would challenge you. It can be difficult to get into a church that's different to what you're used to. But if you're coming with the right heart, and if the people are brothers and sisters in Christ, we should be able to find a way to worship. Because we're there for Him. And if people are doing wrong things, and things have been done wrong, then you leave the place. <laughs> Run. <laughs> if they're not teaching the Word of God. But so often it's personal preferences we're thinking about. The style of music we like. The type of preaching we like instead of thinking about how we may spur one another on, we're here as a group, as a family, to help one another. Not only to worship God as our number one priority, but to help each other. Show g- love. And if you walk into a fellowship and you feel, and you walk out the door again you feel nobody loves you, then it's something's badly wrong. Something is really badly wrong. But I trust you don't feel that here. And we can always grow in how deep we can go in our love and our good deeds towards one another. It says verse 25 Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing but otherwise let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. You know recently I was in holiday and I missed the church for three weeks and probably the only thing I missed apart from obviously family and things back here is the church. It was it, uh, I missed the fellowship because I know the people show love to me I feel at home here. I know the word of God is preached faithfully here. And it teaches me. I know when we sing the Lord's presence is so often there. It refreshes me. Does it do that for you? And you're a part of making that fragrance sweet. You're a part of making that oil flow. And your heart of worship, as you worship the Lord with all your heart, and you're right with him, you'll be a blessing to other people. Won't you? When your heart is right, it'll encourage you to be right with each other. As we reflect back to Aaron, the priest referenced in Psalm 133, when he entered the holy place, he wore a breast piece as a symbol of unity amongst God's people. That's in Exodus 29. You don't need to turn to it. I'll read a few verses. But I just wanted to bring out this piece of unity from Exodus 29. Fashion, verse 15, fashion a breast piece for making decisions, the work of a skilled craftsman. Make it like the ephod of gold and of blue, purple, and scarlet yarn, and of finely twisted linen. It is to be square, it's a square, breastplate, a span long and a span wide and folded double. Then mount four rows of precious stones on it. In the first row, there is to be a ruby, a topaz, and a beryl. In the second row, a turquoise, a sapphire, and an emerald. In the third row, a jacinth, an agate, and an amethyst. In the fourth row, a chrysolite, an oinks, and a jasper. Mount them in gold filigree settings. There are to be twelve stones, one for each of the names of the sons of Israel, each engraved like a seal with the name of the twelve tribes. Whenever Aaron enters the holy place, he will bear the names of the sons of Israel over his heart on the breastpiece breast piece of decision as a continuing memorial before the Lord. So there's that unity of God's people and I felt I was to bring this part out as well. When worship was to happen and when worship is to happen, unity is critical and the Lord is watching how, as a people, we're behaving. And Aaron there is going in with this breastplate symbolising uh, the 12 tribes. And, and for me as well, it's unity within the local fellowship. You could apply that to new beginnings, but I think it's also wider. You know, the Lord is looking upon Moody's Burn, Christon, Garkosh, Glenboyg, Steppes, Millerston. And he's asking, where are my people? And are they dwelling in unity when they come before me? There's 12 tribes of Israel, settled in different places. Don't know what kind of numbers we're talking about. Maybe Vic might know from his scholarship. <laughs> we're probably talking quite a lot of people in quite a lot of different groups from different backgrounds. So in that sense, could I suggest to you, we could be looking at these various churches around us. And the prayer would be, can we come to a place where we may enter the presence of God together? You know, there's an event happening on September the 15th at 7pm in Christ and Parish Church. And we're calling it We Are the Church. And it's a gathering of Church of Scotland, United Free Church and ourselves. I don't know what we are, Independent Christian Fellowship. (laughs) And the Lord's been working in that group of ministers. And I've seen it happen. And can ask you to pray for that? We are the church gathering. To proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. To worship him and to pray. Would you pray for a miracle? Because I believe the Lord's doing this. The Lord is answering prayers that we've had for many years. When we came here to Middiesburn we did not want to establish a church as a church. And then everyone come to us. It was never like that. It was always, can we come here? And work in unity with our brothers and sisters in Christ. And we've seen that and we see that in the coffee house. We see that in all the ministries that are happening here. where people from other fellowships have realised that New Beginnings is an open church. And we're open to Christian fellowship. Our doors are open. Now can I just suggest to you that the Lord's allowing us to, to be a blessing now. We have to be a blessing. I would encourage you to go. <laughs> I'd encourage you to pray. I'd encourage you to be a blessing to your brothers and sisters who bear the name of Jesus Christ. Not for the sake of a meeting, but the sake of God's kingdom. And to pray for miracles to happen. What does the world think when it looks on a church that looks totally divided? This is going to seem a really weird thing. Sorry for dropping this in. Somebody said to me, never apologise when you're preaching, but I'm going to share this. I was listening to a sermon recently of a minister in New York who said that before President Trump was actually in office, they pulled evangelical leaders from all over the America to come and meet Trump for a, I don't know, a leadership session and a bit of, you know, meeting him. And he actually criticised uh, the evangelical leaders. He says, you know something, you guys represent 38% of this American population. You should be having a much bigger influence on this society. He says, you know why you're not? Because you don't work as a team. You don't work as a team. And you know, that is a problem. <laughs> and the, the minister said, from the, ba- from, the, from the mouth of babes and infants, what does Jesus say about these things? And what is his example that we have to follow? I'm not going to be too long now. If you move to Ephesians uh, chapter 5, it is my anniversary today, And I have a reason for mentioning it. Because we're turning to another picture of Christ and the church. And of wives and and, and husbands. So just read that through. And just think about what the Apostle Paul is teaching about the church. Verse 22. Wives, submit to your husbands, to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the saviour. Now as the church... Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands and everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing of water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church, without stain or wrinkle, or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies, he who loves his wife loves himself, After all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it, just as Christ does the church, for we are members of his body. For this reason a man will leave his father and mother, and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. And these verses from Ephesians chapter 5 ring loudly in my ears, Uncle Sandy. Do you know why they ring loudly in my ears? Because I sat with my Uncle Alan uh, when he was preparing to marry us. And Nicola went out of the room. We were doing a lot about of marriage preparation. Nicola went out of the room and here he came. Graham, can I tell you something, son? <laughs> See in Ephesians 5, when it talks about the husband's responsibility, do you realise how heavy that responsibility is? He says people think it's a lot for wives to submit to their husbands, but that's not the biggest task listed here in Ephesians 5. Because the wives will submit to their husbands when... Husbands love their wives just as Christ loved the church, and it's ringing <laughs> loudly in the ears today. You think to yourself, how can I love my wife to the magnitude and the perfection of the love of Christ for his church? But that's the standard we've been set in Christian marriage, and we make mistakes and we sin, and we're not perfect, but he is, and that's the standard that we're being called to. And it's a picture. Of the church, marriage is a a picture of God and his relationship with the church and it's called out here. So there's illustrations of the body, firstly of the husband and the wife's bodies, loving each other as you love your own body. The sense of you, you just show that complete love the same as you would have for yourself. It also speaks about the bodies in terms of the two people become one flesh, so in marriage in spiritual sense you become joined you become one. And then there's a higher illustration of Jesus Christ and his church. And the church being his body and being members in his body. And as he loves us perfectly, we respond. Isn't that good? It's beautiful. Stuart and Jane got married recently and these these were really precious, weren't they? These thoughts about our relationship with God and how it works itself in our marriage. But the challenge for us is... How do we display love for each other, not just in a marriage relationship, but in this wider church body relationship? And the same standard applies as Christ loved the church. That's the standard of our love towards each other. Jesus said is the highest command: love your Lord with, Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. And the second is like it: love your neighbour as yourself. The Apostle Paul gives some instructions to Ephesians. the the Ephesus church in Ephesians chapter 4 verse 1 as a prisoner from the Lord then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received that's that personal holiness and relationship and being right with God but then our attitude to one another be completely humble and gentle it says be humble and gentle, be patient bearing with one another in love make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace it's a high standard isn't it but it's it's a holy standard, it's the one God set out for us you know, when people do things that we're not happy with, bear with one another in love. When people do things that are wrong, they need to be dealt with. When people do things against uh, the word of God, they need to be dealt with. And leaders deal with that. We're called individually to deal with that. But you know, often we disagree about silly things. And it's the same in our marriages. It's the same in lots of relationships. Often we disagree over the minor things. Things that grate us. That we should be patient with and bear with one another. When we're in a group like this, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Why? Because there's one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one whole. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. And I'm closing now just with Jesus' prayer. Jesus praying for all believers gives you direct insight into the prayer that Christ not only prayed, I think, before he went to the cross, but the prayer I believe he's still praying today. John 17 verse 20. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, in that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe. That you have sent me. Jesus praying for unity amongst believers so that why? The world can also be blessed by seeing that perfect example of his church. The early church in Acts two were getting great favour. Do you know why? They loved one another deeply. They lived together and they shared everything they had together. They prayed together, they stayed together. And everyone round about was blessed. And daily the Lord added to the number. Those who are being saved. Those are the conditions for God to work with the greatest power when God's people are in the right place in their hearts and when their fellowship is sweet and true and alongside the example we're talking about here. So we thought about where brothers and sisters dwell together in unity and now when we apply that to dwelling in unity with Jesus Christ as our Saviour it is good, it's pleasing to God. It's like the precious anointing oil and the refreshing dew. We thought about the fact the church is Christ's body and it's a very high calling and it's a very high responsibility for us to demonstrate these uh, qualities of love, of gentleness, of patience of bearing with one another and have a think when we go away today what can we do both individually as a local fellowship here at New Beginnings and and what can we do to prayerfully encourage unity within our own fellowship and also with brothers and sisters from other fellowships around about us. We'll just close again by reading Psalm 133. How good and pleasant it is when brothers live together in unity. It is like precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down upon the collar of his robes. It is as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion. For there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life evermore. The Lord commands a blessing when these people dwell together in unity. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We worship and adore you. We pray that uh, the word here today, which is your word being read, that it would do everything you would want it to do. And just let every other word disappear except the word you want want to remain. Father, we love you. We do pray for this fellowship. Lord, I just love you. I love the people here. We love the fact that you've brought us into a right relationship with yourself through Jesus. We love the fact that we can come here and we're brothers and sisters in Christ. And we're perfected through Jesus Christ. And what a sweet fellowship it is. We pray you would help us, Lord, to go deeper in love for you and for each other. And to help us just to display the characteristics by the power of your spirit that we're reading about today. We're one in Christ. And I do want to pray for all the fellowships round about and for the meeting on the 15th. Lord, would you gather out your people to praise and worship you in spirit and in truth for the sake of the gospel, for faith in Jesus Christ. And we do pray for our communities, Lord. So many people don't know Jesus. So many people would never come to a church. Lord, we pray that the conditions would be right within the church you would make us the way you want us to be to be effective for ministry to the communities around us Lord and we pray for a work of salvation which we know is at the centre of your heart to seek and to save those who are lost just pray for also folks here today that are struggling Lord you know all the different circumstances that people have would you pour your anointing oil in the name of Jesus would you just help folks to receive forgiveness as they just call out to you just pray a blessing Lord on every person, every family represented, every situation that folks are concerned about. Pray your richest blessing to be poured on them Lord as we seek to worship you and serve you. In Jesus name. Amen. amen.